Hey all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid. If you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now. So we appreciate your continued support. Just help us spread the word. Happy 2019. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies Retro Spectating 1999 My My American Pie. American Pie. Wow, this is one of those ones when we put it on the calendar. Pretty similar to Star Wars Episode 1, where I was both dreading and excited to revisit this. this important seminal teen sex comedy. A little different because at the time. You know, we all knew something was amiss with episode one. It was it was hard to to grapple with, but at the time, I fucking loved American Pie, and I watched it many times. You know, you just have a sense with these kinds of movies that they're not going to age well. I hadn't seen this in probably 10, 15 years, and it was quite the experience, Matt. Yeah, I was honestly kind of dreading it. I was just like, "There's no way this is going to hold up." Plus, it's going to be really complicated to talk about. You know, for a couple of uh, 30-something heterosexual white dudes talk about this sex romp from the 90s that they saw when they were 16 with Shannon Elizabeth, you know, uh, trotting around topless. Like, how are we going to how are we going to be incisive about this? How are we going to approach this from a, uh, you know, from an intellectual, from an academic standpoint? We are we are teen sex comedy academics, nothing else. Well, I mean, I mentioned it on our South Park episode. It's funny we're going to do two kind of like hard R juvenile comedies in a row. Well, yeah, maybe smart comedies masquerading as juvenile comedies. So, yeah. So the first 30 minutes or so of my rewatch, I was like, oh, not only is this going to be a tough sit, I'm going to have a hard time talking about this movie in an intellectual way, I can tell. And then by the time the movie was over, after I'd sort of had an emotional roller coaster concurrent with the film, I actually had a lot of thoughts, and I was pleasantly surprised at how it held up in terms of just the um, just the narrative, you know, and in terms of the performances, and in terms of kind of like the sweetness of it all. Like this is one of the sweetest sex comedies I think ever made. Roger Ebert said as much in his three star review in 1999 when he said that this movie is saved by the sweetness of the ensemble. That said, there are some key scenes that remain problematic <laughs> to this day and have become even more so. But let's start with your thoughts, Matt. W- w- what are your biggest takeaways upon rewatch? Yeah, I still thought it was I thought I still thought it was extraordinarily funny and I think uh, most of the core relationships are still pretty solid. 
I care about our four main guys. They all have their own really interesting arcs, which I think is a lot more than you can usually say for these kinds of teen comedies. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the most part, the big gross-out set um, set pieces are still pretty darn effective, not least of which is the, the centerpiece aforementioned uh, webcam scene, which yeah. really, I mean, we'll, we can get deep into it, but uh, it really has an incredible build and an incredible payoff. And, I mean, there's an entire satisfying short film right there. And just when you think it's going to go one way, it goes a different way. And just when you think you got it figured out, it throws a curveball at you. And just when you think that it's, like, strictly voyeurism, it actually turns more into an opportunity to make fun of the male character as opposed to just an opportunity to lasciviously leer at the female character, right? Sure, it is. Although there's a lot of acrobatics that go into that scene and, and, you know, the plausibility of that scene. You know, it's a movie. I get it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it is still, you know, it remains extremely troubling that they would broadcast this to, to everyone. Yes, the setup is a the setup is kind of a nightmare. Pretty much undef- indefensible. I guess the crutch they use is is you know Nadia Shannon Elizabeth seemingly feels no shame or guilt or embarrassment really at any of the proceedings. Hey, right? She, she's European, man. Europeans are just more sophisticated <laughs> than the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if sophistication means okay with being you know filmed changing in a in a stranger's bedroom. But. She's liberated. Um, plus, Stan Elizabeth is not remotely European, and I definitely have some issues with her um, <laughs> with her accent, to say the her least. Her vaguely European accent. I'm I'm surprised at your appreciation for this movie, Matt, because I, so I, I. kind of had I kind of had the opposite reaction to it. Like I didn't find uh, the the humor it has aged very well at all. Um, I wasn't laughing very much, mostly at Eugene Levy. And you know the the aforementioned webcam scene. Yeah, I mean there there's some good comedic stuff and and, and build and uh, sort of bait and switch uh, things going on here. But for a 90 minute movie, this scene clocks in at a good like 20 percent of the film or something, right? Like it's 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 crazy how much time in the middle of this film they take for this one scene. And I you know I guess give it up to to the Whites brothers for uh, for, for for making this worthwhile and making you know it made a hit out of it. It's it kind of a risk to to sort of stop your movie midstream and and get into this, right? But it is. I mean. The movie's called American Pie, so obviously they're they're really leaning into the implications and the importance of the infamous pie coitus, <laughs> pastry coitus. There, that's better. But the the webcam scene is the centerpiece sequence of the film. I mean, really, like that to me, that is the that is the lasting legacy of this of this whole endeavor is how just uh, elaborate and effective that sequence is and complex from an ethical standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think it's that complex. It's 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 uh it's it's troubling, right? It's like it's, it's something that you wouldn't see nowadays. Now, I, w- I will say, the teen sex comedy as a genre has has leaned into voyeurism time and time again. You know what is the what is the quintessential teen sex comedy? This is not a trick question. Well, it's Porky's. Exactly. And there's the shower scene, right? Exactly. W- go go to Animal House. I mean, Revenge of the Nerds, like. There's a there's a legit rape in that movie, you know. Uh, well, and they and that they actually laid the track for this, right? Because in Revenge of the Nerds, they actually don't they actually like post up video cameras in the sorority house. 
Yeah, they hide video cameras in the sorority house and just hang out watching the the cameras. The nerds are the bad guys in Revenge of the Nerds, people. <laughs> uh, don't believe the hype. False advertising. We can quibble with, with the humor. I, you know, Like I said, I think Eugene Levy's the, the star here. Sean William Scott in a more or less star-making role. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how how great everyone else is. I I don't think the female parts are, are given, besides Natasha Lyonne, I'm not sure Tara Reid and Mena Savari are sort of up to the task here. Same with uh, uh, same with Shannon Elizabeth. Well, I guess Allison Hannigan's pretty darn good, too. So, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a crazy cast, and, and just knowing that pretty much everyone here was, was unknown – beforehand um it was it was a real blast from the past uh you know checking in with this movie again yeah i mean i'm glad we're talking about this uh i'm I'm glad we've had a little bit of time between this and our varsity blues slash she's all that episode yeah Uh, but this definitely falls into the same category i mean it's not a coincidence that this that you know a film that dealt with these kinds of themes and had such a deep roster of up-and-coming talent Mm -hmm. was happening halfway through 1999. Do you want to briefly go through the cast and guess their uh, ages? Ooh, yes, I would love to. Let's start with Jason Biggs. How old was Jason Biggs in 1999? I'm going to say he was 22 years old. 21. How old was Shannon Elizabeth in 1999? Ooh, I'm going to say 20. 26. Yeah, okay. she was she was quite old. She was uh, one of the uh, one of the elder states girls of this film. All right. <laughs> How old was Allison Hannigan in 1999? Oh, I'm going to say she was 27. 25. Okay, close. And honestly, Allison Hannigan probably would have been one of the bigger names at this point, right, in this cast, because we're smack dab in the middle of uh, of Buffy the Vampire Slayer at this point. I think she's really the only known person of, uh, of, uh, of the teenagers, right? Let's go on. Let's move on to Thomas Ian Nicholas, because for me, he was really the most recognizable face at this point, right? <laughs> I mean, it's because of Rookie of the Year. Like, rookie, we were we were the perfect age for Rookie of the Year, and and that was kind of an iconic character for Thomas Ian Nicholas. Unfortunately for him, that's probably kind of his legacy more so than this movie. Yeah, uh, kid in King Arthur's Court, right? Uh, that sounds that's, right. Yeah, that's it. That's all I got for Tom. What is he? He didn't do really anything even after American Pie. It seems crazy to me. No, and he has an incredibly unforgiving role here. Yeah, he has a very unforgiving place in this ensemble because he's basically, you know, what he is? He's the Leonardo of this film's <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Sure, that's the best I can come up with. Wait, who's who's the who's the Michelangelo? I know Finch is the Donatello. Right? Uh, well, uh, Jason Biggs, Jim's got to be Michelangelo, right? Because he's the wacky okay. one, he's the weird one, he's kind of the central one. I feel like for better or for worse, it's got to be. Which means Chris Klein is uh Raphael. Yeah. It's a I think bit- we just made podcasting history. The first <laughs> first people ever to compare the four main leads in American Pie to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle characters. That's good on us. I think it works out. I I think I've got a PhD dissertation in the in the works here. And Sh- Sherman and Shredder. <laughs> the Shermanator, yes, that makes sense. Okay, well you, well you brought him up. How old was um uh, Chris Owen in 1999? Oh, I'm going to say he was 19. Bingo. Um, And, you know, Chris Owen, maybe not necessarily a movie star per se, but a very recognizable face. I mean, he really made his bones in teen comedies of the 90s. He had a look. He had a look. He was in almost every single one of them. And this movie, it punishes him, man. I mean, he's a dirtbag, but boy, this movie really punishes its, its male characters like... Yes, it it absolutely is lasciviously, voyeuristically leering at 
many of the female characters the way that teenage boys do. But mm-hmm. um, but it, it absolutely punishes a lot of the male characters, not least of which is the Shermanator. Yeah, I mean, we, we can get into that because I, when I talked about the themes being a little more wholesome than what I would have assumed, I mean, sort of the main tenet of this movie is if you want sex, you have to earn it. And earning it, like, earnestly is, is going to be the best way to do it. Yeah, or better yet, as soon as you stop lionizing it, as soon as you stop considering it the end-all, be-all, the only thing worth striving for, then perhaps you may get you may get privileged with it. Don't be a quote-unquote nice guy. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, technically, all four of our main characters are nice guys, right? I mean, uh, to, yeah, in ver- yeah, various the- levels. I mean, these are these are good guys at the end of the day at least right like chris klein is obviously a you know kind of a doofus jock and eddie k thomas is a little bit pretentious and jason biggs is kind of aloof and thomas ian nicholas is uh sure that he's always the smartest of the four that's why he's the de facto leader he has um he has hubris which is why he one of the reasons why he alienates himself from tara reed early in the picture some unearned hubris perhaps yeah you could say the same thing about leonardo (laughs) i suppose yeah you could (laughs) Uh, okay, let's keep going. So um, how about, oh, Chris Klein. 21 years old. 20. You you mentioned earlier that 99, or you mentioned on the South Park episode that 99 was, you know, really the year of Chris Klein. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that was the beginning and the end of Chris Klein. <laughs> you know, we, we looked him up last night as we were watching the movie because, you know, he had his he had his troubles. He had a DUI. He had all sorts of stuff going on. Oh, I didn't realize he had troubles. It looks like he's sober now. He met a met his wife five years ago. He's got two kids. He's he's doing well. He's on the CW show The Flash. So happy ending for Chris Klein. Oh, good, good. I mean, it was this. Well, first it was election, which is where he was discovered, obviously, and then it was this, and then it was the uh, Lily Sobieski movie, right? Far, far from heaven, heaven head over heels, something. <laughs> yeah, a prepositional phrase of some kind. Yeah, this was also the Lily Sobieski moment. We can get into that uh, next week when we talk about Eyes Wide Shut. Can, can I talk about how I saw this movie and how it intertwines with Eyes Wide Shut real quick? Please do. This summer in 1999, my family went on an RV trip. And my, my uncle, aunt and uncle, live in Minnesota. That's where my dad's from. So we were there in Minnesota. And so I saw American Pie with my aunt. Wow. Just my aunt and myself. And thankfully, she was a cool aunt who enjoyed the movie. But... I imagine there are a lot of those situations with with people of of, of our age seeing this movie with a family member maybe being caught a little off guard. Two days later, or two or three days later, I'm not sure, we visited the Mall of America, right? And I am not a mall guy. I did not appreciate (laughs) the Mall of America. So I went off by myself and I saw Eyes Wide Shut by myself in the Mall of America. That that must have been pretty goddamn surreal, right? (laughs) It was really weird, yeah. A movie like that in sort of like the Parthenon of American ugliness, right? Yeah, Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is the payon to all things ugly and American. One of the seven seven capitalistic wonders of the world. I like Chris Klein. I think he's quite charming in this movie, and I think he is hunky, you know? Like, he's a legitimate hunk, and I'm surprised he never managed to make this happen for himself. I suspect is because he's kind of one note. I mean, this is the character. He plays the same character here as he does in, in Election, more or less, you know? Well, I mean, he's a little more of a sleeve. Like, he's got a little more edge here. In Election, he's pretty damn vanilla. 
right? Like he's he's pretty squeaky clean in that movie. That's I mean, right. I, I, mean, guess, I guess his election character would never say "suck me, beautiful" <laughs> in any scene, right? No, he doesn't have to because uh, the, the <laughs> his sister's ex girlfriend is more than happy to uh, to volunteer. I hate the choir scenes. I hate them. They make me cringe. Every time. Because you don't like the sound of his singing voice? Or just because you don't like the idea that he's... No, I just, I just don't like the songs. I don't like that. I don't like them doing Marvin Gaye or Temptations. Him scatting. I just hate it. That's right. funny. I'm, I'm super invested in the whole Chris Klein, Mina Savari thing. Like, I really... I kind of dig that whole... That relationship. And I think they got a lot of chemistry. And I think they're I think they're cute. Like, I like all the stuff with them at the sub shop. And, and they, they build some interesting drama into that relationship that I don't think you'd find in... Uh, usually don't find in these kinds of high school comedies the fact that you know she falls for him pretty quickly and then she wises up almost immediately and then he basically has to kind of like win her back or prove to her that he's not a dirtbag and i don't know there's a whole there's a whole arc there i mean you can really make you know make an entire movie out of that out of that relationship it's not gonna be nearly as funny it's gonna be much smaltier i guess ultimately that's the movie he made with Lily Sobieski. <laughs> Talking about that for a second, I, I think one of the things that uh, this movie does really, really well, and credit to Adam Hertz with the with the screenplay, is it's very lean. There's not a lot of fat to this movie, and they get right into it, and they introduce the characters in an extremely economical manner. It helps make this a real smooth 90-minute ride. Because I think you're right. I think everyone does have have their own arcs, which is which is interesting and, and sort of unique for, for a movie of this ilk. Yeah, I, I appreciate how quickly that you get into the movie yeah it's it's lean and mean for sure uh, we can talk about adam hertz here in just a second but let's just finish off with the cast so i talked so i mentioned mina savari how old was she when she made this movie same year as american beauty yeah i'm gonna guess she's 23 19 oh boy uh and we can get deeper into that when we talk <laughs> when we talk about american <laughs> beauty which boy i'm glad that that's a few months away because i'm gonna need that time to prepare for that D- do you think the 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 views the streams of american beauty have gone up since Kevin Spacey uh, has has been outed as a as a dirtbag or, or or down. Do oh, I'm sure down. Honestly, I can't even think of any place that movie. I haven't seen that movie streaming on any platform in the longest time, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're removing it from certain places. You know, obviously you can probably still rent it on iTunes, but I don't think Netflix is super excited about licensing that movie right now. So you're telling me I'm gonna have to go to the DVD store and pick up American Pie. I mean American Beauty. It's for a podcast. I'll take a I'll take a copy of uh, National Review and maybe <laughs> Newsweek. Uh, uh, maybe this American, yeah, throw American Beauty in there. Okay, and a copy of uh, the Saturday Evening Post. Copy of Shaved. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Natasha Leone. 23. 20. Okay. We talked about Chris Owen. Tara Reid. Uh, 20. 24. We're almost done. Eddie K. Thomas. Uh, 23. 19. Sean William Scott. Uh, 25. 23. Okay. Very close. Okay, last one. John Cho. Ooh, 19. 27. Dang! He's the oldest, he, he's the oldest one in this of these main cast members. He and Shannon Elizabeth are way too old to be playing high schoolers. But, you know, for the most part, I'm actually pretty impressed that they stayed pretty, you know, the the high school comedy lineage obviously is infamous for casting 30-year-olds as 19-year-olds, right? Yep. Uh, I think Alan Ruck was 33 when he made Ferris Bueller's Day Off, (laughs) something like that. But yeah, mostly, you know, most of them are dancing around, you know, 19, 20, 21. I'm I'm actually pretty impressed with that. You know, even though they didn't necessarily all go on to be movie stars, I really think that they all kind of, I don't know, they all find their own interesting lanes in this film. Like, I don't really feel there are any weak links of all the people that I just mentioned. I kind of like all of them. I I think some are stronger than others, but I don't think there's any, like, standout weak links. 
Yeah, I I think a lot of Mina Savari's line readings, and it could be a script problem, fall pretty darn flat. Okay. I don't think Tara Reid's all that talented an actress. Yeah, but besides Tara that, Reed's, everyone else is pretty solid. Tara Reid's a little rough, and I think a lot of it's the fact that that character is badly underwritten, which might be, uh, again, a kind of a symptom of the fact that this is clearly a dude, you know, a dude movie. Who, so we were having this conversation last night. Who would you say has had the best career of anyone in this cast? I'm going to say John Cho. John Cho, okay. I love John Cho. I've always loved John Cho. I'm always happy when I see John Cho show up in something. He he only had, I mean, he literally just has the MILF scene in this, right? He's, he's got the MILF yeah. scene and he's part of the choir. And that's it. Mm-hmm. That's like, it. Like, there's nothing that would necessarily lead you to believe, like, oh, this guy is going to be kind of the breakout star of this thing, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, re-watching it with the context of his entire career and loving you know, Columbus a couple years ago, which he's extraordinary in, you know, loving all of the stuff he's done in the Star Trek franchise, really loving his return in American Reunion, the fourth film in the American Pie series. I mean, he absolutely steals that movie. I have not seen Have you not seen American Reunion? Okay, cool. Well, I mean, we're going to get to talking about the franchise here in a second, but he's the, uh, he's the reunion organizer. He's the reunion coordinator. He's the Ah. one who organizes the entire high school reunion in that. And he gets to, spoilers, he gets to reconvene with his MILF buddy in that. Nice. And they get to, <laughs> it's the best scene in the whole movie when they, they see each other across this football field and they start chanting MILF. They have an entire conversation just using the word MILF. Look it up on YouTube. It's kind of amazing. It's either Cho, Sean William Scott, sure. Allison Hannigan, or Natasha Leone, right? Okay. Orange is the New Black, you know, Russian Doll. So she's had a renaissance as of late. Yeah, sure. It's hard to... Allison Hannigan, two big series that go like seven plus seasons. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I would probably take Sean William Scott's career just mostly because of role models. I think movie. Sean William Scott is... The, I think John Cho is the best actor in this movie. I think you're right. Sean William Scott is probably the breakout, I suppose. Like, mm-hmm. he's the one who really parlay. I mean, he's got the kind of character... He's an idiot, you know, like he's a very, yeah. he gets to really dig into this the way that, uh, you know, Scott Kahn got to dig into his character in um, <laughs> Varsity Blues, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these you know, meathead dudes where you got a lot of opportunities to make fun of yourself on screen. And I, I just think he really, he kind of nails it. He kind of hits it out of the park. I mean, what's Sean Williams got doing nowadays? Lethal Weapon? That's kind of yeah, his lethal thing. Weapon. Yeah, I don't know. He did Goon too. Uh, well, you know, the guys on The Ringer, when they were, I can't remember what the context was, what film they were talking about, but they, they posited that Sean William Scott is the guy who shows up in bad, you know, he shows up and steals bad movies. You yeah. know, like he's he's the guy who comes in for one scene and just absolutely nails it and steals the movie and he elevates, you know, mediocre material, you know, your, your cop-outs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in in a film like um, Old School, which is not a mediocre movie, it's actually a very funny movie. He has one of the best scenes in that entire film, right? And that movie's stacked with funny people. So yeah, he's very very funny in this. The problem with the way the series went from here on out is they started leaning too heavily on him. Like they started to mm-hmm. sort of position him as more of a central character. One of the best things about the way this movie uses him is it knows to use him sparingly, right? It just yeah, he just him shows in. up has a has a little drive by and then they're gone. Exactly. Like if you read the Wikipedia uh, entry for this film, it positions him as one of the core friends when in reality he's not. I mean, there's multiple times when Eddie K. Thomas says. I mean, there's a point where they say, this is the reason we were friends with Stifler, so that we could eventually go to a party to his house. And Aiki Thomas says, wait, we were friends with Stifler? I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's not a particularly likable guy. He's not one of the core. So, And that's yeah. one of the best things about that character is he can kind of just, he, he's always providing 
a context. He's always providing sort of like a base of operations for whatever shenanigans we need to get into. He's the one who's always mm-hmm. providing the party, right? I mean, do you have a good sense right now for exactly why this movie was as popular as it was? Was it sort of the the breaking out from the PG-13 to the R? I mean, I seem to remember at the time this being um, marketed as like hard R red band trailers like this is the movie you gotta see if you're sick of these you know she's all that type of films this is a movie about you know 18 and 19 year olds graduating from high school uh they're high school seniors and we were about to become juniors right this this movie came out the summer between our sophomore and junior year i think so i think a lot of us were obviously identifying with this kind of stuff and we liked the fact that they're you know in the summer where star where the phantom menace was just going to dominate everything there was something kind of novel about this sort of like scrappy little $11 million sex comedy just coming in that's just, it's not going to do anything fancy. It's just going to provide you with some legitimate belly laughs. And I think yeah. the uh, the film is structured, it's, it's just structured like an action movie, right? Like it, it doles out big gross out set pieces in a very sort of mathematical way. What other movies, you know, can you compare that to really uh, from before that? Because it feels like, in terms of hard R sex comedies, like the 90s pre-American Pie were pretty barren. Yeah, and then, you know, like anything else, we start to get way too deep into this kind of stuff. Like the gross out, the hard R gross out stuff, you know, your uh, scary movies, right? Yeah. Or your, uh, what's the one that makes fun of all these? Not another team movie. Not another team movie, yeah, that kind of stuff. It starts to just go way too far. Like there's a sweetness to this movie and there's an emphasis on character that helps it to sort of like transcend the more scatological stuff. Whereas you start to get into the really parodical things and the movies that are like just trading on the gross out jokes and you lose me completely, right? And And I think the industry kind of like learned a lot of the wrong lessons from this. Yeah, it seems like there was a big rash of R-rated comedies after this, and then it sort of went away until the rise of Apatow. Sure, and then we're sort of in a in another valley right now. Yeah, and it's you know you know something like Booksmart just came out this year and was was a big flop. Yeah. It does seem to me that for whatever reason, like in this day and age, it would be really hard for a movie headlined by no names to blow up like this which you know I don't, I don't know if it was just lack of competition or there weren't as many franchise films coming out or word of mouth was was something that was more possible back then but it just doesn't seem realistic that something like american pie could come out today and, and, and make big bucks it does look more and more like a really fluky phenomenon in retrospect looking back to the summer of 99 the fact that this was one of the biggest hits of the year i mean this movie made 236 million dollars on an 11 million dollar budget that's a yeah, fucking smash hit and again we can we can sort of point to the uh, tarzan of it all in terms of how much more money this movie could have made if we actually were tallying up uh box office receipts for all the people who were sneaking into it right mm-hmm. so um and I, you know i probably saw this movie three or four times again i was working at a movie theater that summer but i probably literally went and sat through the entire thing at least three or four times that summer and it always killed like, it was a big, big crowd pleaser. It was, you know what, what we haven't even discussed is the fact that this movie comes out a year after There's Something About Mary, right? Yeah, that's true. Which is, again, a, a movie that kind of, like, broke new ground in terms of a gross-out comedy that also has a lot of heart and an emphasis on character. Yeah, that's a good analog, but... You know, that movie seemed to be more aimed at adults, and this is obviously a teen comedy about teenagers, 14. So, yeah, I guess you had the Fairley brothers in there, 
Um, had the Fairley Brothers made an R-rated movie before that? Isn't Kingpin? Isn't Kingpin R? Is Kingpin R? I, I want to say it's PG-13. Okay. I mean, Dumb and Dumber is definitely PG-13. Yeah. But uh, I think Kingpin might be R. I'm not, I might be wrong. I'm actually not, not a big Fairley Brothers uh, academic. But you mentioned the fact this movie is aimed towards teens. I think one of the reasons that this movie managed to transcend Smash the way that it did was that I feel like this movie ended up appealing to uh, adults as well. Like I remember going to, I remember like going to a dinner party at my parents' friend's house in the summer of '99, and there was like you know 50 and 60 year, well maybe let's let's say like 40 and 50 year olds uh, mm-hmm. talking about American Pie and how funny they thought it was and how much they liked it. Yeah. So maybe there was a little bit of um, of the older demographic kind of like wanting to go see what all the fuss was about and wanting to kind of get involved in this stuff and wanting to sort of turn their brains off and. You know, go watch what the kids are watching. And I want to say a lot of the marketing had to do with the webcam scene. Sure. You know, you can't underrate the the titillation factor here. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, Shannon Elizabeth really, she is, you know, our generation's Kim Cattrall or whatever, right? I mean, that for an entire generation of 16-year-old boys, uh, Shannon Elizabeth was pretty phenomenal, <laughs> pretty, pretty mind-blowing at the time. I mean, there's, there's a story about how, J- uh, what's his name, uh, Jason Mewes, Kevin Smith movies, was so taken with Shannon Elizabeth after having seen American Pie that he basically begged Kevin Smith to cast her as his love interest in um, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, right? <laughs> like, nice. So that's how you know you've got some juice when uh, you can talk your buddy yeah. into casting this beautiful woman that you've fallen head over heels for as a result of seeing American Pie. I'm guessing it didn't work out for him. but oh, Well, I mean, I'm, I, don't, I don't think they had anything going on off the set. I just <laughs> I think he just knew he was going to get to kiss this character in the film, so he talked Kevin Smith into casting her. And um, Let's do a quick little context corner here and, and like try to figure out exactly how this movie came to be because it's pretty anomalous this guy adam hertz and and this is a story that's going to make me feel incredibly unaccomplished and incredibly old adam hertz obviously grows up in michigan he goes to uh, east great falls high which was the original name of the script that he wrote for this he uh, he moves out to la after he graduates from the university of michigan and he works for a couple years as a pa and he sells his first script east great falls for $350,000 three years after, two years after graduating from college. So he would have been 25 probably when he sold the script for this movie, Mm -hmm. which is pretty insane. And he basically sold it to Universal as this is a a teenage sex comedy that can be made for less than $10 million. And the eventual budget of it was 11. And uh, as we said, it made 236 million at worldwide box office and the rest is history spawned an entire fucking franchise so this guy has never really managed to do anything else of note unfortunately like he really peaked early i mean he he made you know he wrote four other american pie movies he wrote my best friend's girl he wrote wonder park that came out or i'm sorry he produced wonder park um but this is pretty much his legacy at this point i'm sorry he sold it for 650,000 not 350,000 so 650,000 pretty decent payday for a 25 year old right not bad you can pretty much uh, set up shop for that amount of money you know you're good to go and so and the whites brothers come on board i mean they're up and coming guys they uh this was their directorial debut i believe chris is the only one who gets credited right isn't paul uncredited on this movie no i mean he's it's on the wikipedia i believe so i i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure either but either way they were just isn't it funny how many brother directing teams have come along in the last 20 years 
and that's not even including you know your your Coens or whatever, right? Yeah, it is. It is something. I mean, the Wachowskis I, you know, and the Russos and the Whiteses. I mean, this is the fucking aforementioned Fairleys. It, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, you've been on set far more than I have. Like, w- w- would splitting up the duties with someone you have sort of this symbiotic relationship uh, with uh, be helpful? I assume it would be. Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, the little research that I've done suggests that yes, there is one who is almost always dedicated to the cast, and then there's one who's almost always dedicated to the camera, right? So mm-hmm. you've got the more technically minded one, and then you have the one that's focusing more on performance. You know, but then again, then again, that might be reductive. These a lot of these guys may have different strategies and bedside manners. They pretty quickly schismed and they pretty quickly went their own ways and have mostly directed uh separately yeah didn't they did they not direct about a boy together or was that yeah they directed that together but um but yeah chris chris has had a much more successful career than paul has yeah he co-wrote rogue one i forgot about that i think paul directed um in good company right he's he's in good company and little fockers and being flynn admission whereas uh chris has managed to um you know, Chris has been much more successful as a solo act. I think he did the Golden Compass by himself, mm-hmm. which um, you know at least was a was a financial success. He did one of the Twilight sequels. Golden Compass is one of my least favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Fair enough. Duly I noted. read the books. The books are incredible. Look for the HBO series, but that was the biggest waste of an opportunity ever. So fuck Chris White's. You know, sorry. <laughs> Isn't Daniel Craig in the Golden Compass? Yeah, yeah, he is. He could have been great too. The cast was good, and then he directed a great little movie called a better life that I, I believe Damien Bashir was nominated for an Oscar for that. It's actually a, a really interesting, it's a remake of um, the bicycle thief. Yeah. And uh, it's actually a, a pretty great little movie, but yeah, they've had an odd, they've had an odd career. Those two, you know, American pie is obviously still the biggest hit of their career. I don't know how they feel about that, but Adam hurts, obviously, you know, it's, you sell your movie. That's about your life or your upbringing. And it's, it's easy to rest in your laurels and, pick up a couple of paychecks and you're good to go. It's not, it looks like he's he's a teacher now or he, he does seminars for upcoming screenwriters. Okay, but sure. You got to give it to Paul and Chris Weiss for at least using this as a you know jumping off point for a sort of eclectic careers, both of them. I, you know, I think it's a perfectly well-directed little movie. I mean, there's nothing fancy about it for sure, but they're, they're focusing on the characters. They're trying to make sure that they... You know, they focus on the timing of the comedy, and I really feel like the construction of the infamous webcam scene is is pretty damn smart, and it really capitalizes on the comedic potential of that. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, there are little set pieces throughout the movie, and there the the pacing's right, and the the editing's really good, um, and and they made a really clean ninety minute movie. Like, they, you know, one of the best things you can say about a comedy director is you don't really notice anything, right? It's just the, the comedy's all there, and nothing's distracting. Well, the brilliance of the the webcam sequence, again, we, we recognize the fact that it is gross and that it is lascivious and that it is voyeuristic. But if you just look at it in, in terms of the, like, the way that it's constructed comedically, the way that they really build out the implication and the suggestion that there is so many people watching this webcam simultaneously and the way that they, they introduce Blink-182 and they introduce the creepy little dude sitting by himself, and they introduce Chris Owen, and then they introduce the girls who are watching this and, and can't stop laughing. I mean, the way they just continue to build and build and elevate the sequence, if if you'll forgive me, you know, the way that scene climaxes is <laughs> oh, un- sitting on that one. <laughs> is unbelievably funny. Like I I don't know why I still like the you know, the way that the the girls react to that, again, not again, man. Like it's just and the way Big sells it. It's it's very exciting and it's very 
funny and it's very sexy and it's just I mean the movie just peaks there unfortunately you know you gotta give it up to Jason Biggs it's a it's a fearless fearless performance uh, and you know it could have gone could have gone sideways with someone with uh, you know less balls in this in, in this role it's it's interesting that he hasn't had as as big of a career after this you know I I, I think a lot of people kind of felt he was a real big time up and coming comedic actor right. But, hasn't really worked out that way for him. He, his career has been fine, but it, you know, definitely this was the highlight. You're exactly right. I mean, he he was poised to be the next big, you know, comedic thing. He started in a Woody Allen movie. One of the worst Woody, <laughs> like probably bottom five Woody Allen movies, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. But yeah, there you go. So uh, so he's always got that going for him. Sure. He's very, very funny in this movie. I mean, he obviously has to commit to things like fucking a pie and like, uh, you know, doing a striptease. And, uh, you know, God bless him. He he really commits. Cause this, and mm-hmm. this movie doesn't work if he doesn't do that. And, and, and like, he, he plays shame and embarrassment really well, not over the top. Like, you know, some of the... You, 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 know, you you could fall victim to. And uh, I really like his dancing. I appreciate his dancing every time. I mean, the movie ends with him dancing, right? Like the last yeah. scene of the movie is him dancing, which inspires his dad. You brought up Eugene Levy earlier. I actually find the Eugene Levy thing to be a little bit tiresome. <laughs> only because... What, like his career? Him as an actor? No, just the shtick. The, the, the shtick that this movie is so sort of impressed with right like Eugene Levy is so funny and so talented and he's he's had such an unbelievable career and you know I love all the SCTV stuff I love all the Christopher Guest stuff but the way that this movie kind of capitalizes on the shtick I find to have not aged particularly well that being said there are a couple of sequences where he and Jim come together and they've got this incredible chemistry uh, where I completely buy that father-son relationship. My favorite being the one where Jim walks out of his room and his dad is standing there looking at the family portrait. Yeah, that's the best scene. <laughs> oh, oh, Jim. The way he de- delivers the, the line, masturbation, is is one of the funniest <laughs> things in the whole movie. Right. Yeah, I just like his faux surprise. Oh, Jim. Fancy <laughs> meeting you here. And that family photo is fantastic. It's great, yeah. So what's <laughs> funny is that Eugene Levy basically is the legacy of this series. Like, Eugene Levy is the only actor who's been in every single American Pie film. That includes the direct-to-video spinoffs. Eugene Levy likes to pick up a paycheck. Let's just say that. <laughs> he's he's earned the right to be able to show up, you know, for a day. And I guess that they had to have some sort of connective tissue to the series. I, I don't have know you if they seen had any to. Of the... They certainly did. They decided to. Have you to. seen any of the direct-to-DVD ones? I have not. I've seen all four of the main canon a timeline whatever you want to call it (laughs) i've seen all four of those and honestly uh, this is gonna sound silly i think they're all pretty good haven't seen them haven't seen them in years but i remember liking all of them i remember really liking american pie Mm 2 and i think i only saw american wedding once and but found it fine i definitely i I could not get it up to go see american reunion but you know I, i i appreciate how much they're you know they're sticking with it. Do you think? What do you think the next one's going to be? American Funeral. Uh, Sean William Scott has been interviewed as as recently as uh, a couple years ago, saying that they've been talking about what the fifth film is going to be and whether or not American Reunion was a big enough hit to justify it. And the fact that none of these actors have really gone on to superstardom certainly helps the case that they would yeah. be able to corral them all for the fifth. Like I'm sure, 
it wouldn't take too much to get them all back together for for a fifth film. Thomas Ian Nichols is calling his agent weekly, asking about the, well, you the know, status. Of with this all movie. Respect, you know, let's give Thomas Ian Nichols his due. I mean, isn't he on that? <laughs> isn't he on Scorpion? Isn't he on that CBS show Scorpion? No, that's Eddie K. Thomas. I think. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's Thomas Ian Nichols. Oh, goddamn, these guys and their fucking three names. Yeah, good point. Thomas Ian Nicholas. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he would. I'm sure he's waiting by the phone, unfortunately. Eddie K. Thomas, who I don't think anybody would have expected coming off of this film to have, uh, you know, gone on to big things. Uh, yeah, he's been on that Scorpion show, which I think is a big hit. And if you've if you got a CBS show that goes into syndication, you're set for life. Yeah, you know, it's a good life. It's what Allison Hannigan's done. Yeah, you're, you're just getting those residuals. Uh forever so there's been four main canon american pie movies and there's been four spinoffs band camp the naked mile beta house and the book of love the book of love reminds it reminds me that uh, casey affleck has a very weird cameo in this movie very odd cameo <laughs> he's he's good yes. in the cameo yes. the whole idea of the uh the book of love it's funny i, I made sure to look at uh some of the notes in the book of love okay. when when he's looking at it and it's uh you know, it's not that helpful of, uh, of notes. It's like doggy style, my favorite position. And you're like, okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, the, um, the art department only had a couple of days to prep that, I'm sure. No, but you, like, it, it is sort of a, a good time capsule, too, of very early internet stuff when people can't uh, you know, easily Google things. Yeah, the whole webcam in, uh, interface I found to be very funny and very charming because it really is a time capsule of 1999, right? Just the sheer lack of resolution on the webcam. Uh, I found to be like the fact that they, they're sitting around staring at their computer screens and there's this tiny little box in the middle of the, in the middle of the screen. And, uh, and they're all still, you know, it's so pixelated and yet they're all still so taken with it. it. It takes me back to those days where you would just sit there and wait for a picture to just rasterize, you know, like a pixel at a time. God, I keep thinking of Eddie K. Thomas on Scorpion. You know, <laughs> you it, do. It's one of the best. Well, over the last two minutes, <laughs> what, it's one of the best jobs ever because if you're on one of those crime shows and you're one of the nerds who has who's just sticking around in like the the lab all day, mm-hmm. think of how easy that fucking job is. Sure. Right, you go to one set. Makes me mad. Think, you know, did you ever go see like a, a sitcom taping in L.A.? I did. I, I saw a taping of a failed. Sit- I think it made it to like three episodes before it got canceled. It was called Work with Me, and it starred Kevin Pollak and Nancy Travis. Oh, and Ethan Embry. Ethan Embry was in it too. Oh, nice, good yeah. cast. Yeah, it was. It was actually a pretty funny little episode. I think it probably was CBS, honestly, but I don't think it made it through a full season. I went to Two and a Half Men during like its heyday. Oh wow! And I remember. I mean, this was when Charlie Sheen was making like three million dollars an episode. Sure. And it takes one night to shoot, and he shows up, and they do one or two takes, maybe three takes sometimes, and it's all over in like ninety minutes. Yep. Can you imagine that? Is like it's a good gig. Oh, it's a fucking great gig. It's a good anyway, gig. Yeah. What were you saying? Well, I was just going to say that um, that Eddie K. Thomas, I'm just so kind of proud of that guy coming out of this because of the four, he's probably the one I identify with the most. Take that for what you will. He has you like older women. Well, well, that's the thing is that, you know, he manages to make it happen with Stifler's mom, which is a really funny scene. And Jennifer Coolidge is so great in this movie. Speaking of Eugene Levy and Christopher Guest and all those films, she's so great in this playing uh, such a different character than she usually plays in those Christopher Guest movies. She's hilarious and charming yeah. and beautiful, and that, that's just that's a fun, that's a great scene. If you had flip flopped the genders, obviously it uh, 
complicates things. things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wh- wh- where was I going? Oh, Eddie K. Thomas. Yeah. So of those four, I think he's probably the one that people expect the least from in terms of where his career would go from here. So the fact that he got on a successful, he's been in a couple of sitcoms over the years, and he finally got on the successful CBS show, and now he's probably set for life. And he's he's done a voice on American Dad for fourteen years now. He's yeah, he's he's been in Harold and Kumar movies. He's you know How to Make an American. He's yeah, he's done great. But the reason that I bring it up is because he probably gets it the worst, and like he has the he has the single worst scene in the movie, and by that I mean that he's the victim of the grossest scene in the film. Yeah, that's true. When it comes to gross-out comedies, I'm no prude, but in the category of um, gross-out scenes that deal with bodily fluids, mm-hmm. semen doesn't bother me, menstrual fluid doesn't bother me, uh, urine doesn't really bother me. Um, honestly, vomit doesn't even really bother me all that much. But uh, I have a really hard time with the hardcore diarrhea stuff. Like, not a poop guy. Not a poop guy. That That's where I draw the line. That's where I All become right. a real prude. And so when you have really those, noted. yeah, when you have those kinds of diarrhea centric scenes, that's where you lose me. And this, mm-hmm. this movie has a particularly rough one, but it manages to, um, it manages to redeem him in a, in a really satisfying way. But I just feel like that's the low point of the film and he really gets the brunt of it. He gets punished harder than I think anybody else in this movie does, right? <laughs> well, you know, learn to shit at school, I guess, right? <laughs> but in that regard, I'm, I'm just proud of the fact that I'm, I'm proud of him for being able to, you know, to transcend, not just sleeping with Stifler's mother, but finding himself on a very successful CBS show. Good for Eddie K. Thomas. All right, Matt, any, uh, what do you got for final thoughts here? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I'd be a freaking liar if I said I, I didn't enjoy it. I thought it was I thought it was okay. It was not nearly as sort of cringy as I thought it might be. And you know, they're like I said, the problematic scenes are, 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 are problematic. That's that's for sure. But yeah, uh, like I said, there is there is a, a sweetness to it, and, and and the overall message is is not a bad one. So yeah, I mean, attractive cast. It's fun seeing all these people as, as youngsters. Um, and you know, none of them have become ultra super famous, but they're all sort of names, and you see them all pop up every now and then. And you know, in some people's cases, you know, like Natasha Leone. Have, have you seen Russian Doll? I have not, but I hear she's. I'm a big Natasha Leone fan. Yeah. Like I've always been a big fan, and and I I think she's wonderful, and I think she's very funny, and I think she's again somebody who is a veteran of um, Woody Allen films. I, I honestly I expected her to be a bigger star, but good for her for just having that staying power. Yeah, and I think she's gonna have a really good late career because I think she also had some like drug substance problems. That makes sense. I'd be disappointed if Natasha Leone hadn't sort of had her wild child years. Yeah, like just, just she definitely, considering definitely did. just it seems like it. Right? Yeah, just considering the kinds of characters she's played over the years, I, I'm you know. I hope she like you know was out drinking with Lucas Haas in the you know late nineties and early two thousands stuff right and you know doing lines with the pussy posse. Oh God, we have to bring the pussy posse into this. <laughs> it seems only appropriate considering the subject matter, right? Well, I hope, I hope Lucas Haas is doing okay. I bet he, is. he had a great year last year. He had um, he had uh, First Man and he had uh, Widows, right? That's right. Yeah, it was a really good year for Lucas. All right. Well, I guess we're ending this uh, podcast on a Lucas Haas note, which is. Uh, <laughs> If you had that in your pool, you win. Uh, we should make like a good We Like Movies bingo. I, I've thought, a, or a drinking game, yeah. Drinking game, yeah, that's that's even better. For sure. Like, there are certain there are certain words that I am definitely, um, <laughs> definitely guilty of overusing that probably should be part of the drinking game. All right, well, until next time, this has been We Like Movies retrospectating 1999. We already alluded to it, but Matt, what's the next movie? We're going to move from a 
sex-crazed comedy to a sex-crazed drama, right? Indeed we are. Can you go much further from Paul and Chris White's to Stanley Kubrick? In 1999, the the fact that you the fact that you saw Eyes Wide Shut at uh, the Mall of America trumps. I, I had a great story that I'm looking forward to telling on the next episode about the night that I first saw Eyes Wide Shut. But uh, I'm not sure if I can compete with the Mall of America. That's pretty surreal. Solo Mall of America during the day matinee. Yeah. <laughs> well, the rest of my family was at the at the theme park. Uh, all right. Until next time, this is what we like movies. Say goodbye, Matt. Goodbye. <laughs>